Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, I understand that today's question is on a topic that we we talk about often. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing the question, what we can come up with. All right. So I'm going to play the message from uh, Google Voice. And thank you for leaving the message a color. And we will respond to it. And the topic today will be about uh, Becky's social emotional learning. What recommendations do you have for teachers on social emotional learning to continue to support their students with emotional challenges? So that's a uh, a wide, 50 miles wide and 5 million miles deep question. And we thank you for sending it. And I think I'm going to start with um, a really simple statement, which is connect. You know, whatever way that might be for some students that might be not talking to them. I think we often forget some students don't want to be bothered, but maybe being present, sending them a silent note for some, it might be getting to know them. And I think the best example is I can think of is connecting is we did not have a very good third grade year in Florida. Uh, we actually had to do it twice. And I really dreaded the start of the third grade year the second time is all I will say. And I still will never forget. My son insisted on bringing all of his medals to school the first day. <laughs> and I was like, dude, no one is going to have time. It's a brand new school. It was just opening. Like literally at the end of the day, that principal sat and went through every one of those medals. There had to be 50 of them. What'd you get this one for? What does that mean? I, I, I literally like makes me choke up now, but to me, social emotional learning is first knowing your student well enough to know how to connect. And I will tell you that child of mine that didn't behave for anybody, including me always behave for her because of that initial connection. So that's my first tip is connect, connect, connect in whatever way that might be. I think that that's absolutely what I would say as well. You know, I, I was a teacher of kids with severe emotional behavioral disorders uh, I worked with kids who who had real reasons for for feeling like the world was against them, and 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 it resulted in behaviors that were very difficult in a school setting. But connecting was the key, and I'll try to give a few specifics in this segment. And who knows if we've covered them in the past? But you mentioned the word connect. There's a strategy uh, called check and connect that that you can Google, but I will tell you how we implemented this. We, we didn't do it formally. I don't, I'm, I, I love to get ideas and then I love to customize them for the setting in which I'm working. So here's what, here's what we did in our school for those kids who really did have this it, true emotional and social needs. I would put a signed up sheet in, in the teacher's lounge. And I would say, Hey, I have, um, you know, 10 kids who really need someone to connect with first thing when they get to school, just someone who's willing to care for one, you know, one second, this kid can come in and say, you know, Hey, and you send them off to have a good day and, you know, have a nice word for them, ask them to help you with something real quick to get them thinking positively about their school day. I'd say, so I would say, you know, who's just willing in the morning? And it might be somebody in the cafeteria. It might be a, a coach. It might be a, a bus driver. It could be anyone who goes in that room. And so get the names of people who were willing. And then I would share the list of kids and say, do you have a kid on this list that you know 
or that you've seen or that, you know, you feel like might have any connection to you. And so we did it really organically in this way so that that every kid who needed someone to stop by somebody, you know, somebody to say, hey, let me see your homework. Did you get that done last night? Let's see what you have. You know, let's make this a great day. What do you have? And it wasn't judgmental and they weren't trying to get them in order. It's like, hey, do you have, you know, you, you got your pencil? The kind of things almost Lisa that a mom would do, to be honest, or a dad. Mm-hmm. And so making that first thing in the morning connection with an adult, and I'm not talking about elementary school kids. I am talking about middle and high school age kids here, yeah. but somebody to stop by who who cares about you. And so that person, you know, that, that person's only role was to care. So sometimes we really even have to plan for that. And I think that goes unnoticed. So if you have kids who have needs that you really can recognize, I would recommend that you think about some organic ways to connect them with a caring adult. Yeah, and I'm going to go kind of back to that same statement, but maybe in just a bit different direction and have a kind of a fun little side note. So I, I did cross categorical and, and had many of the kids. I had the, you know, children who I had the runner. I was really good at throwing off my shoes and running. I yeah. had the, the biter. I had the stabber. I had the child who defecated on himself. You know, so again, and, and I often would go back to, and I know this sounds very, very theoretical, But I would often go back to Maslow's hierarchy and just think about the basic things like, you know, this kid doesn't even have basic understanding of self or safety and and food. And so, you know, making sure breakfast and lunch, and I know teachers and families do that a lot, but I think one that makes me smile, and again, this is probably exposing too much of myself on this podcast, but believe it or not, I sold Mary Kay. I know that shocks you. I could sell anybody anything. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that'd be a great laugh for you, but I still remember um, I've been putting through pictures and some albums during this pandemic, and here's all the girls, and I offered for them to come, and we did facials, and and I was a sorority house mother, so I'll let you think. My husband and I lived in a sorority house with 28 women, um, so that's another fun fact about me, but the sorority girls all gave their dresses to these girls for the eighth grade dance. I offered to do the makeup and facials and I have pictures of it and I still smile, but it's because I knew they wanted to go. But if you don't have a dress and you don't feel very good about yourself, you don't really want to go into me. Social emotional learning isn't about here's the curriculum goal standard of this curriculum about it's about feeling good inside. And I think sometimes to get inside, we may have to help on the outside. It may have to be in the inside. The kid is hungry. The kid isn't loved. And I think going back to Maslow's hierarchy seems a little bit silly, but you know, at the top of that is self-actualization. Well, you and I are very comfortable with ourselves, maybe too comfortable because we have an overdose of self-esteem. That's what people do that advocate. Our kids with disabilities to be advocates really have to come to an understanding about those differences. And that can't happen unless they have those basic needs met. And once those needs are met, then I think we can move into teaching self-advocacy. But I think sometimes we think it's about a curriculum when sometimes I think we both believe it's a little more organic in that, in that approach. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I don't, I, I, I think it's the concerning thing about the language of SEL for me is that Sometimes in education, we try to cling in onto like a specific thing and then we look for a blueprint for it. And the best way I can describe it for me was a constant modeling of all the things I wanted kids to be able to do. 
So I modeled being able to manage stress. I did so many think alouds with kids, you know, wow, this is so frustrating. I don't know how to do this right now. Or man, this is really frustrating to me because you guys are being so mean. So it's frustrating to me, you know, so that they understood, like, I don't know what you guys are trying to get out of this situation right now. This isn't making me feel great. If that's your goal, that's fine. But the one thing I'm not going to do is cry or quit or run out of here. So if that was your goal, that's not working. You know, so I did so many think alouds. I really did try to very much um, help kids understand. But I think the most important message um, for, for our listener and other listeners is change your habit of mind to help change their habit of mind. So those things that are so annoying and the failures, the everyday failures by these kids in every interaction, every time they cuss, every time they do something that feels like, oh, they should get in trouble for, you know, if, if we can view that as if a failure of the moment instead of a failure of the day or a failure of the week or a failure of the school year, you know? So maybe in that moment, that kid, you know, didn't do something right, but to acknowledge that and then to set it aside and not let things build and build and build on one another. So it's like, wow, I, that's not how we talk in here. I don't like to hear that. That's literally how I responded to things like cussing, but it wasn't you're bad you know, you're horrible. And so it just goes on and on, you know, and it becomes perpetuating. So I do think like changing, changing my mindset helped me help kids change theirs. So thinking differently about the, in the moment and not letting it be a a perpetual failure by kids. And I'll just kind of clue with two little real practical, easy things you could do um, that I love. And one is a smiley, frowny and straight face. Um, so really great for little kids. And when they walk in, they get a little marble, half marble, whatever, and they drop it in whichever one they are. And then as a nothing else, you don't have to ask them to put their name or anything on it. But now I look at it and go, wow, the whole jar is frowny faces today. Good luck, yeah. Mrs. Speaker. You better get your game on because everybody's in a bad mood. Or I could say, look, if you put it in the sad one, would you like to share with us during circle time of things we could do to help you today? So again, kind of a trauma-informed classroom where we do that kind of social, emotional, cultural community of bringing everybody up. And then a little bit older student, ones that can write their sentences. I had a problem box. It was one of my favorites. Do be warned. Um, you have to, you know, but because it was math, I could make their math problems around the problems that they had, you know, Zach had four girlfriends and he lost two because, you know, he said he was dating too many girls at the time in the problem box or my two favorites were I was subbing in a classroom and when somebody put in the problem box was this sub believes she's all that in a slice of cheese. And I was like, well, thank you for thinking that I really think (laughs) I'm important. So again, kids will say things that are mean or your homework is too hard for me. And I, I, you know, I'm babysitting three siblings, but it was a great way to do conversations. Like you mentioned, like my problem is that the locker kids keep bullying me and telling me I'm stupid and fat. And so then I don't have to say who it is, but then we can have a really honest discussion without a name and say, you know, what is the strategy the rest of you would use? Cause that student didn't have one. That's why they put it in the problem box. So again, having some kind of forum when kids want to, but if you're going to do it, be ready to have thick skin yourself. If things are going to bother you be prepared because kids aren't always nice. 
and then whatever you pull out of the box, do you keep you know it anonymous so that students' identity is protected? And you can even rephrase it if you think it might be obvious. Like that kid, I knew who it was. So I just said, you know, someone's getting bullied at their locker. I didn't say, you know, they were fat and all that. What, what do people do when people say mean things to you at the locker? So again, giving kids those coaching moments, I think are important. Absolutely. And I think the, the reference I would give everyone, sure, there's a lot of good SEL material out there, but I always recommend everybody go back to Glasser and look at, uh, I believe his website's probably wglasser.com. I know it was. Um, and, and, and look at choice theory and reality um, therapy and just some real simple things like, you know, learning how to talk to kids in a way that that encourages a, a, a therapeutic, but more of a self-discovery than, you know, um, always something that's contrived, but learning how to talk to kids in a way that leads them to coming up with their own solutions, I think is a great start. You know, what are you doing? What do you think you're getting from that? You know, is this, is this what you want? So learning how to talk to kids in a different way is something specific and strategic. I would start with Glasser. Yeah. And so I'll wrap us up uh, today and just remind you too, to take care of yourself. I think we, we both remind each other of that quite often as friends. And I do think teacher and parent self-care is just as important as our care of kids with disabilities and our care of co-teaching and inclusion. So please do, uh, you know, take care of your own social emotional learning. I think that's, that's a core value we both strongly believe in too. So we look forward to you reaching out to us on our Twitter at access practical or leaving us a Google voicemail at 407 900 Nine three zero five. Thanks.